Good morning. Have a seat. Thank you for joining us this morning, Memorial Weekend. I was at the beach this morning, and somebody came up to me and said, it better be a pretty good service. The charge of the parking these days is no longer $3. It's $7. So I had to upgrade my $3 message to a $7 message. And it worked out pretty good for some, but uh, there's no money back guarantee whatsoever. So um, good morning and welcome. We're finishing up our series of the book of Romans, and we're in chapter 15, and we're going to look at the last 14, uh, 14 so verses of chapter 15 from verse 14 all the way to verse 33. Uh, what if I were to start the conversation with these words? L- let me tell you what I really think of you. You, you already know, right? You already, you, it's like you're, you're, you're bracing for full impact, right? You don't know what's going to come next, but you know something very honest and real is going to hit you hard. And you're not sure what in the world somebody might say. You go, you may be saying, oh no, here it comes. Well, the Apostle Paul begins his very last instruction to this church that he's never met. He's never been to Rome, never met these people. But he's heard about them. He's heard about their impact around the Roman world. And the Apostle Paul's finishing up, I believe, his most important document he's ever written. His most important letter, the book of Romans. Paul has taken on all the Stoics and the philosophers of his day. He's taken on the intellectuals. He's taken on all the religious leaders. And all the people that have questions and theories about life and where meaning is and who God is and where where the answer lies. And the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans has laid out a very solid argument for why he believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ as the answer. He's laid it all out. And now at the very, very end of his letter, he speaks to the Romans with with these personal words and shares his own heart about what has been driving him his whole life. And he says in his opening remarks, let me tell you what I think of you. And it reveals something of the heart of Paul and what motivated him to find his greatest passion and mission, the gospel. And so in verse 14, here's what Paul says. Concerning you, my brethren, I also, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. The Apostle Paul brought a word of encouragement. I mean, because he believed that the gospel was a gospel of encouragement. I mean, Jesus didn't say go into all the world and discourage people, did he? Go go into all the world and, and criticize people or go into the world and judge people. It's not the gospel, is it? The gospel is a gospel of love. It's a gospel of encouragement. And the Apostle Paul encourages these people. And at the very heart of who Paul is, Paul was an encourager. Paul learned how to encourage. And Paul knew that the message that he preached was a message of encouragement. I was in one of my early, early assignments as a new pastor. Quit my job in real estate. Went back to school and finished seminary. And I got a job in a local church. And And it was a really tough environment, to be honest with you. I mean, I was kind of discouraged, not encouraged. And I just felt like there was a lot of criticism, judgmentalism. There was a lot of evaluating. 
and it was a kind of a discouraging place to be. And I have always believed that the gospel should encourage us, not discourage us. And so I went to one of the leaders, and I, and I was honest with him. I said, you know, and he noticed that I was discouraged. He said, what can I do? And I said, well, I, I could use a little encouragement. I think we all can. He goes, okay, brother, be encouraged. <laughs> and I went, what? With what? With the word encouragement? Paul looks at these people and says, I believe in you. I believe in your faith. I believe in who you are. And here's what he says. He says, I'm convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. You're good people. Your goodness is spread to other people, that you're inviting others. The, the idea of goodness is the idea that you're welcoming, encouraging. Your deeds are deeds of encouragement, that you've reached out to other people. You've given of yourself to others. You're also full of knowledge, which means you're growing in your faith. That you're a developing, maturing believer. And I want to encourage you about that. That you're learning more and more. And also that you're able really to admonish one another, to encourage one another and help one another, to come alongside one another. You're doing the work. Here's some specific things you're doing really well. And Paul found himself, for the last several years, being in a ministry of encouragement. And he ends this beautiful letter describing some of the components of his life, his life's call. His mission was a mission of encouraging people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There it is down in the next verse. If you read, but I've written you very boldly. In some points is to remind you again, because of the grace that was given to me. Notice, the grace given to me, I'm now giving out grace. Verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. So he saw his whole focus, his whole drive, his whole direction as a, as, a, as a follower of Christ being a minister of the gospel. And the way in which he ministered the gospel was through encouragement. He brought an encouraging word. He brought an encouragement to people's hearts. It's what we need, don't we? We really need to be encouraged. We need to be thought of well. We need to be encouraged as to what we're doing well. Sure, we need to be challenged, but we need encouragement. It drives us. It, it builds us up. It's what we need. And Paul found that as the direction of his life. And then he's going to describe four components of a ministry of encouragement. And I want to show you these four components as you think about what it is that drives you. What's your purpose in life? Paul found it in the gospel. The gospel was a word of encouragement to hearts seeking meaning and purpose. And Paul knew that, and he went into the world, and he brought that word of encouragement. That was his drive. That was his life. That was his focus. Everything Paul was about was driven by this notion that that's my calling in life. This is what I do. And it was about the gospel. I think people are trying to find meaning today and purpose out of so many aspects of their lives. Their jobs, their relationships, money, activities that bring pleasure and fulfillment. And a lot of people feel discouraged and criticized. And what I think the gospel is communicating is that the very life of Christ, the gospel is the life of Christ. It's his life, 
It's his sacrifice. He went to the cross. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected. And he ascended to the Father. And his life is a life of sacrifice. It was a sacrificial life so that we might live. He gave his life so we might live. That's the gospel. That's an encouraging word. That's what we are to do, is to go out and bring that message of encouragement. And Paul found a very specific focus. Paul was very driven. He knew exactly what he was called to do. And there were four components of this vision of Paul's life, this mission that he was on. And I think about these four things. I think about us as well, that as we find our mission, as we find a vision for our lives, it's going to contain these four things, I guarantee you. And I find them all here in this passage. Here they are. The first one is verse 16. A minister of the gospel, Jesus Christ of the Gentiles, ministering as a priest. He identifies himself as a priest. We've got to look at that. We need to understand what that means to be a priest. That's number one. I believe it means sacrifice. The second thing I noticed in this passage is a little bit further down in verse 17. Therefore, in Jesus Christ, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. Paul found something to boast about. It wasn't himself, it was God. Second component of your life is not only that you are a priest, but you're one who boasts in God. And then I found a third thing, and it's down in verse 24. As Paul describes his life and as he's, he's He's in Corinth on his way to Jerusalem to deliver some money that he has gathered for the poor believers in Jerusalem. He then desires to go to Rome and meet these people finally. He wants to go to Rome. So he's going to get on a ship and he's going to travel to Rome. And then it says that he's not just simply going to go to Rome. He says, now with no further place for me in these regions, I've had for many years a longing to come to you Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing to be helped on my way. Paul had a big dream. The third component of your life is not only this idea of being a priest, not only this idea of where you're going to put your boasting, but the third aspect is dreaming big dreams. Paul had a huge dream. He wanted to go on. It wasn't just Jerusalem. It wasn't just Macedonia. It wasn't just Rome. It was Spain. That was a big dream. And fourth, I find in the very bottom of the passage here in verse 30, I urge you, brethren, by the Lord Jesus Christ, to strive together with me in your prayers. In your prayers. Paul had a strong prayer life. And those are the four things we need in order to find a significant mission in life. And I'm going to explain all four of those. And I was thinking about this. This is true for someone that may not have yet put their faith in Christ. There might be somebody that's hearing this message that doesn't have a faith in Christ, that doesn't see themselves on mission like Paul to spread a message about Jesus, the gospel. But they're trying to find a mission for their life. They're trying to find a vision for their life. We were in London several weeks ago, and one of the speakers was Simon Sinek. And you know Simon Sinek who start with why, your why. Why do you exist? Not what do you do or how you do it, but why you do it. That's why people buy what you sell. It's because of the why. You understand why you do what you do. It gets to the vision of your life. And Simon Sinek's whole kind of career has been based on this, helping companies and corporations find their why and individuals find their way. why. And then in one of these breakout sessions, Simon Sinek 
basically told us about his own why. And his why is that he wants to go around promoting and encouraging corporations, business owners, people to create safe environments for other people to find what they do well and to excel. That's his life purpose. That's why he exists. That's why he's written eat, eat, um, Leaders Eat Last and, and Start With Why and, and why he travels the world and speaks is to try to encourage this concept of creating safe environments where people can thrive. People thrive in safety and find the purpose of their life and maybe excel in the things they do well. And as I thought about this, I was thinking about people in the world today and why they're looking for a mission just like a believer's looking for a mission. And those, these four things apply to any person, whether they're a person of faith or you're not a person of faith. You are a priest of something. You're boasting in something. You're dreaming something. And prayer could be just real focus. And you need all four of those. Any person to be successful today needs these four things. And let's look at them. And for us, as followers of Christ, we see a spiritual significance as Paul describes them. And the first one is this. Paul sees himself as a priest. Now, he describes himself as a priest. He doesn't describe himself in this passage, as he often does, as a doulos or a servant. Paul will often see himself as a bondservant, a slave of Christ. Like he's put himself in a position that he's no longer in charge of his own life, but now Christ is driving and directing his life. But in this case, Paul identifies his primary identity as a priest. Now, the word priest is an important Greek word, letergos. And letergos is important, and I hope you remember this word, letergos. Because Paul is a priest, the word means literally sacrifice. He sacrificed himself. And if you want to have a good vision or a mission for your life, it's going to require a little sacrifice. It's not easy. What you find to do, and you do it well, you've done it because of sacrifice. And Paul sees himself as one who is a sacrifice on behalf of God. The Letergos concept, this idea means literally, I'm a public servant. I'm serving someone else. I belong to the people on behalf of God. I am this busied one with holy things. I'm busying myself with holy things. The word means literally personal sacrifice. I am putting myself out there for the sake of my mission, which is the gospel of Christ. And I'm willing to sacrifice for it. I've got some skin in the game. I'm willing to step up And there's going to be sacrifice on my behalf. That's the way Paul identified himself in offering the Gentiles as a sacrifice because Paul's basically saying, I'm this minister, I'm this priest of the gospel, and my offering are these people, these Gentiles, these people have never heard. In a way, Paul is saying, remember in the Old Testament, when the the Old Testament saints, they, they they would bring to the priests what? a goat or a sheep, and they would have it sacrificed. And they would bring it, and they would pay for it, and it would be a sacrifice. And on the basis of that sacrifice, God would honor that. And in doing so, when the the blood of the animal was shed, the sins that the individual had committed would be placed upon the goat or the sheep that now had lost its life. 
And so your sacrifice is something that God honors and he accepts and it's pleasing to him so that you might be in a right relationship with him. What Paul is now saying is we're no longer doing that. What I'm simply doing is I'm going into the world, into the Gentile world, the secular world, and as I'm engaging people in relationship through encouragement, by encouraging people, believing in people, I'm introducing them to Christ and that's my offering. That's my sacrifice to God. Your sacrifice to God as a follower of Christ is to go into the world, build relationships, and in your introduction of Christ through your life, and as they come to know this Jesus that you worship and love, that's a sacrifice. That's your, that's your offering to God, people that are coming to know Christ through your life. That's, that's part of the mission of your life. I mean, that was at the heart of Paul's mission. Tim Keller writes about the gospel, the, the idea of this gospel that Paul is committed to, this gospel of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, his life and his sacrificial death, his dying, being buried, risen again, ascended, his whole ministry, so that you might live, he dies. Tim Keller makes a very important observation about the gospel. The gospel is not simply something to be believed. It's something to live. You live the gospel. You don't just simply believe it. If it was just simply a, simply a doctrine, then how is it going to impact your life? But what, what Tim Keller says is the gospel to, confronts racism. It confronts ethnocentrism. It explains the meaning of marriage. It promotes financial... The gospel does a lot of things. It promotes financial generosity. The gospel speaks to every issue we face. He says the Christian life is a process of renewing every dimension of your life. Spiritual, psychological, corporate, social, by thinking, hoping, living out the lines or ramifications of the gospel. As as another writer, Jeff Vanderstelt, calls it, He calls it gospel fluency. It's a good term. When you learn a language, you become fluent in that language. And guess what? You begin thinking that language. You dream in that language. It becomes part of who you are. When you understand the gospel, and you really understand your relationship with the gospel, that Christ has changed your life, and it's now changing every area of your life, you you have this gospel fluency. It runs through you. And then what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that that then becomes your sacrifice. Your sacrifice is living that out in relationship with others. Now, I was with Joseph Hamilton, who started a church as a dear friend in the urban communities in Los Angeles, and he planted a church about 10 years ago, about the time we planted our church. It's called One in Christ Church. And we got together. I took a, a great friend of mine who's out visiting from, was uh, in bond trading for many years, retired, now lives in Wyoming. And David and I have become very, very dear friends and, and um, want him to meet Joseph. And he has a heart for the inner city. So we sat and talked to him and, I, and Joseph explained, here's why I do what I do. I planted this church because I want to be in the inner city because I want to reach families with the, with the gospel. And out of that came this new ministry called the Martin House. He finds men that are coming out of prison 
and they've served terms 10, 15, 20, 30 year terms. Some of them even life terms and they've now been released. And they now have found a new faith in Christ but they have nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. They have no money, they have no support. And so he started the Martin House, which is on Crenshaw and the 10 Freeway. It's a two-story home and has 16 beds and men can come there and they can be discipled by him. They can learn new trades. They can get their feet back on the ground. They have a whole year free living. They pay for the, 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 the spiritual um, discipleship course so that they have a little skin in the game as well. But they, but they live rent-free and they're fed and then they're expected to move on, get a job, reunite with their families. And Joseph's whole mission comes down to this one idea. He realizes in the inner city today that there's this huge flight, this white flight. People are leaving the inner city. Certain races are leaving the inner city. He says that's happening in the African-American community as well. They're getting educated and they're leaving some of these inner city communities. They're leaving. They're abandoning them. And I want to take men and put them back into the inner city. I want to train them up. I want to encourage them to go back into their communities. And his whole focus is now about how to help these men. 97% success rate. He's had 110 men go, go through the program. He's funded by an individual and several other churches and I want us as a church to get more involved in this ministry. I mean, it is so encouraging to see these guys and to hear their stories of life change and to see how grateful they are and how hard they're working. I, we're there, and there's well, guy after guy leaving for work. They're going to work. They're going off to a job. They're figuring it out. And Joseph wants to put them back in the city. Now, that's a mission. That's a sacrifice. That's worth living for. And my question this morning for us is, to whom and how has God called you to be a Letergos? You're a priest. We're a, we're, a, we're a community of priests, Paul calls us. Peter calls us saints, but he also calls us a nation of priests. That's who we are. We're all priests. We're all Letergos. That's who we are, every single one of us. The question is, where? What's that going to look like for you? What is that greater mission behind? I'm not asking you what you do for a living. I'm not asking where you live. I'm asking what drives you. See, where's the skin in the game for you? Where's the sacrifice? What is it you found? What message? What hope? What encouragement have you found that you want to bring to others for the rest of your life? That's the challenge. And the second thing is, I noticed the Apostle Paul then says, that he's not simply just a letergos, he's one who boasts in God, he does not boast in himself. It says that, I found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. You know, there's a real challenge. And the real challenge for us is it's very easy when we see things going well to boast in ourselves. We put the confidence in ourselves. We've done really well. We've built a great company. We've built a great church. We've done really good things. You know, we're very successful. And it's very easy for us to see that. And, and, and I think at that moment, we, the power of our mission goes out. See, pride destroys the work of God and will destroy your mission. Pride, your own pride. I was reading Thomas Brooks. He, he wrote back in 1652 
the precious remedies against Satan's devices. I like these guys and the way they write. And he says, Satan's, this is part four of this, this treatise on devices that Satan uses to destroy us. And he says, in part four, Satan's devices to destroy great and honorable men to make it their business to seek themselves, seek how to be great in themselves, seek to raise themselves up, to enrich in themselves, and to secure themselves. Satan wants to bury their names in the dust and their souls in hell by drawing them wholly to mind themselves. I love that. I mean, that's pretty challenging right there. In other words, it's all going down if we put our pride in ourselves. So that's why Paul makes this mention of God and the power of the Spirit. I don't presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished, verse 18. I mean, that's a humble person. I mean, Paul was fairly successful in his career planting churches. There were a lot of people that owed their lives to Paul, leaders, generations to come. The gospel was pushing out of Jerusalem and it was on its way to Spain because of one man. And yet he didn't boast in himself. He says, yeah, the Gentiles have heard this by word and deed. In other words, we worked hard. We did something. We did something right. But then he says in verse 19, in the power and signs of wonders and the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem round about as far as Zechariah, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. See, Paul's saying the signs and wonders are the miracles. The things that are really happening, the life change, the things that are going on are not because of me. They're because of the greatness of God's power. Right? Isn't that true? You take a really good concept and you take a strong leader, you take a, you take a charismatic individual, full of themselves, full of pride, and what are they going to do? They're going to sabotage their own mission. They really are you find some of the greatest things that are going on in the world today are done by humble people that are giving away credit. I mean, a great sign of a great leader is to accept blame and give away credit. That's what great leaders do. And so Paul is doing that. He's giving the Romans credit. He's boasting in God. There's a third component. If you want to live a great life and you want to have a great mission for your life, there's sacrifice, you're a letergos somewhere for something. See, you boast in something, and it may not be yourself. In fact, if you can find something else to boast about, do it. And the third thing is, you got to have a big dream. And what I love about this passage is that Paul says, for this reason, verse 22, I've been prevented from coming to you, but not now, no further. I am not needed in these regions anymore. Since I've had many years longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, see, he keeps a greater vision in his mind, a greater dream. He says, I hope to see you in passing. See, I'm passing through Rome. Well, this is a, you know, this is, this is a day and age that world travel was really hard. He didn't get on an airplane and fly somewhere, and he wasn't back in 36 hours. This is a long pursuit. And dangerous. You, he was shipwrecked along the way, survived. I mean, you don't know whether you're going to make it or not. He didn't know whether he was going to make it to Rome, let alone Spain, and yet look at his dream. His dream was bigger than himself. The question this morning is not your dream, it's how big is your dream. And will your dream be larger than your life? Because that's what you really want. 
You want something to, about your life to be left behind that will outlive yourself. We just had a memorial service for Don McFarland. Wonderful family, McFarland families, Doug, Dan, Gary, Laura, all these wonderful, amazing grandkids. It's a, it's a remarkable family. And as we were doing the service, it occurred to me that the interesting thing about Don McFarland, who used to attend our church, is that his dream was bigger than himself. And as I looked at all these grandkids and their love for Christ sitting in the front row, I thought his dream is bigger than himself. He never got to see his dream fully accomplished. And you may never see your dream fully accomplished, but you start that dream. You live for that dream. I'm going to Spain. Well, there's no way. Well, Paul never made it. He went to Rome. He was arrested, put in chains, put on a ship, and he was taken as a prisoner to Rome. He never left Rome. At least that's what we believe, that he never made it to Spain. But that's okay, because his dream outlived himself. And Paul had an impact in the world that was far greater than himself. And that's what we get to leave behind if we really want to live for something significant. Find that thing. What do you want? And it may be beyond you. maybe be beyond you, you, you as a couple. It might be in the lives of your children, your children's children. Dream really big. You may never see that dream come about. But you will look back at the end of your life. And here's the interesting thing. I was reading... I was reading a, a, a great theologian that James has turned me on to, Richard Bauckham. And he wrote a book called Mission, Bible and Mission, talking about world mission through the Bible as one long narrative, one story of God. And he says the New Testament leaves the task of mission incomplete. Do you ever notice that? You go to the end of Acts, it just stops. There's no completion. It's just the end of that generation. You've, you finish Romans 16 next week as James comes and delivers an amazing message about the people in his life that helped him accomplish what he did, his community. It just ends. That's it. So the New Testament, the task of mission is incomplete. It has been for every generation of its readers. Everything is left unconcluded. That is, the story ends where every generation of readers down to ourselves comes in. It's our task to finish the narrative of the Bible. It's our task to finish the work of redemption in the world today for our generation. And when we die, the next generation picks it up until, until Jesus comes back. And I want it to be good. And I want it to be powerful. And the question is, what's standing in the way of your dream? Let me get really personal with you. Let me share something that happened to me several weeks ago. So I go to this conference. It was a wonderful conference. We're filled up. We're excited. We're coming back with new vision. The conference is over. It was a busy, busy season. My mom passed away April 11th, Easter. Preached a message. Lots of meetings. Planning the summer got on an airplane, knew I was going to be gone 12 days, conference, and then some travel time, meet some dear friends that we have, and then some time alone, Denise and I. After the conference, back to the hotel, all of a sudden I was gripped with fear. I was in a panic. 
Now, I've had a panic attack before, but this is like none other. I wanted to go home. We still had 10 days or eight days, nine beautiful, wonderful days. And I was gripped with absolute fear, totally irrational, heart started racing. I was under this amazing panic attack and I couldn't figure out why. Lots of things going on in my life, it makes sense, loss, thinking through, finally breaking down, finally the place where I can identify with how I'm feeling. But all of a sudden, I felt this fear, this panic. I got to go home. And for the next nine, ten days, every day it came back. And it was frightening. And if you've ever had that experience, you know what I'm talking about. It's exhausting. It's frightening. It's gripping. You don't want it. You want to get rid of it. Went to the Word. I was praying, prayed out loud. Pushed through it every day. Another day, it's going to come back. Again, back after God's word, on a train, on an airplane, flying home, still with me. Spent two hours on an airplane on the way home, halfway through, and I just opened my Bible and started looking at all the passages on allowing the word of God to renew my mind, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Oh, every verse, and I started writing. Two hours, wrote about six pages wrote a message for myself. Maybe someday I'll give it on how to deal with fear and anxiety in your life. And it, it, it carried me through. It was exhausting, frightening. I came home and I thought about it. I don't ever want to fly again. I don't want to go anywhere. What's it going to be like? I've traveled the world. I've been, every, I've been a lot of places. I'm comfortable in other places in the world. And yet, all of a sudden, I have this fear. And so, I realized, this is, not, this is not rational. It's spiritual. This is spiritual. Somebody is trying to attack me, to impact me, to be fearful of my bigger dream for this church in our lives. To travel, to speak, to encourage other believers. I mean, I've got opportunities to go places, to use my speaking gift, to talk about church planning, leadership, all sorts of things. And yet, if I'm afraid to get on an airplane to fly somewhere, guess who wins the day? My dream is shot. I got to attack this thing. I got to address it. I got to be aware of it. And I got to be willing to step forward. And, and I wonder if that's true for you. I wonder if that resonates with you. If there's something, don't have the money. Don't feel like I have the faith. Don't feel like I'm mature enough, far enough to have too many other interests. It might take away too much of my time. I don't know what it is, but you got to really deal with it if you want to live for a great dream. And the last thing I found is this. Here it is. Paul encourages these people, says, I'm coming to you on my way to Spain. I'm going for it. The end of his life, he dreams a dream bigger than he could fulfill. And then he says in verse 30, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me. The word strive, labor hard in prayer. See, when you're in a difficult situation or you have something really to pray for and you need God to work, your, pray, your prayers are labored. You're striving. 
You're, you're really going for it because you really need to see God do something. When you really don't care, and it's really not that big of a deal, there's not a lot of striving. And Paul says, no, no, no. You want to live your vision out, your mission? It's going to take striving prayers. You better strive. You better want it and pray. And so Paul puts all these things together. Pray so that God can help me that I might be rescued from those who are disobedient. See, Paul had enemies. He knew at any moment his life could be taken. And there were guys, there were, there were people out there that wanted to end Paul's life. They didn't want to see the mission go to the Gentiles. It was not a good thing. That my service to Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, that I might come to you in joy and will of God. See, he prayed about the whole mission of his life. Pray with me. Pray with me. Will you? I want to join in prayer. You strive with me. We need to pray for each other. See, you need to pray hard. You need other people praying hard for you. See, if you're going to accomplish anything great in your life, you got to see yourself as a letergos. You got to find something better than yourselves to boast in. You have to dream big dreams, and you need to pray like it all depends on you. Let's pray. As we go to the communion table, a table that represents the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We're going and we, we see before us the bread and the juice represent the body of Christ that was shed for us so that we might live. We think of the word sacrifice when we go to the table. That Jesus sacrificed it all for us. So Father, as we come to the communion table this morning, we take some time to reflect I pray as we come forward to receive your sacrifice and be reminded again, Jesus, of your sacrifice on our behalf. May we, as we encounter the communion, the elements of the communion, might also stop and pause for a second and say, Lord, I want to be a sacrifice for you. I want to be a letergos. I want to live for something more significant than just simply myself. It might be bringing other people into a relationship with Christ in your sphere of influence through your relationships. Father, I, may, I pray that we would, we would engage you this morning and thank you for your sacrifice. Be reminded of your sacrifice and be challenged by your sacrifice to live for you. Amen.